All right, church. Never had a billion dollars I couldn't use, right? Oh, wait, I never had a billion dollars. All right, good morning, everybody. Good to worship with you today. My name's Ray. Got some, uh, got some announcements for you today. Just kind of give you a little rundown on how things are going to go today. We're, we've got uh, uh, the announcements coming up. Um, we've got our worship songs. Um, we're going to pass the offering plates afterwards. Uh, after the service, uh, don't forget today is the uh, uh, carrying meal, the uh, Mexican carrying meal today. So I hope you brought your appetites with you. Um, stay afterwards with us for that. It's going to be a good time, good fellowship, good food. Um, yeah, so uh, just want to uh, give you guys a reminder that donation boxes, uh, both for the Hope Dealers Outreach as well as uh, Operation Christmas Child, are over here in the, the hub now, um, kind of the where, where the ramp comes up to, that room there, what, what the former library. Um, uh, and the, the needs for both of those outreaches are, you'll find those in your bulletins there. So um, if you feel led to donate, you can find the boxes for those over there. Um, we've got a baptism Sunday coming up. We'll be baptizing some folks into the family of God on Sunday, March 3rd. Um, if that's something that interests you, if you want to, um, you know, make that, Make that proclamation that, that you are a follower of Jesus and be baptized into the family. Talk to Pastor Shane or one of the elders, and uh, we'll get you, get you headed in that direction. Um, we've got, uh, just want to, man, we've got, we've got a couple birthdays today. Uh, I just want to recognize those real quick. We've got KJ is turning, he's up here in the sound booth today. A uh, big round of applause for our for our for him. Uh, turning sixteen, so sixteen, yeah, he's gonna be on the road. So y'all be alert. I'm sure he'll do fine. Got Joshua Peaks today as well. Turning twelve, yeah. Happy birthday to you. Can we can we do a little? Can we sing happy birthday? <laughs> you're, you're talking to the wrong guy to carry a tune. Yeah. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear Josh and KJ, happy birthday to you. Thanks. All right, guys, we got our, our let's stand and do our memory verse together. By this. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John 13, 35. Lord God, we just uh, thank you for, for your goodness and your love, Father. And um, for, for this gathering, this time to, to worship together, Father, we lift our voices up to you in praise of you and awe of you, Lord God, and just uh, in Jesus' name. So, my question for you. Earlier today, I asked um, already this morning, if you had a billion dollars, what would you do with that money? How many of you, that's not the first time you thought of that question. How many of you have, in great detail, maybe you didn't share this morning, you've already known what the desires of your heart are for that billion dollars when you get it, right? Well, I think it takes a small question like that for us to realize how powerfully our desires can take over, 
how powerfully and how quickly we can begin to let our mind wander about our desires. And so what we're going to see today is we're going to see a group of guys that really are a great example for us. They're called the scribes of people who struggle with desires and self-entitlement. Anybody? Oh, I don't see any hands shooting up there. But a problem that we all, all struggle with. And before we get into this passage this morning, I want to share a story with you. When I was young and first married, you know what they say about that first year of marriage, that it's just peaceful, that there's no tension, and that there's nothing new to learn, right? You guys are laughing like that's incorrect. That's completely incorrect, right? Completely incorrect because that first year of marriage is a time of growing. It's a time of time of learning. It's and so I just remember when I was a young man, and a couple things I had learned is that when you have two sinners, and we're all sinners, yes, and you put them under one roof, that doesn't make things easier, but instead, both of you bring presuppositions, you bring assumptions, you bring all kinds of things under one roof, and then the battleground begins, right? And so I remember this, this first year of marriage as we were learning to live with one another. One thing I did learn was that Becky makes the most fantastic coffee cake out of anybody in the world. Anybody like coffee cake? Becky is the queen of coffee cake. If you ever get her coffee cake, you'll know what I'm talking about, okay? And I'll never forget, we, she made this coffee cake at the beginning of the week, and I began to eat it ravenously. And as we got to the end of the week, there were just two pieces left. And I remember taking both those pieces, putting them on my plate, putting them in a the microwave, getting really excited to eat them both. And as I put them in there and they're microwaving and I pull it out and I see Becky come in and I start eating one of the pieces. Uh, I, she looks at me and she has this proclamation, this realization about me. She says, you are such a self-entitled firstborn. You ate all the coffee cake, didn't you? And it was in that moment that I pulled her piece that I had put on a plate for her and gave it to her. And she looked at me. She's like, oh, I'm sorry. I called you. And I said, no, honey, you're right. I am a self-entitled firstborn. All of us really are self-entitled at some point or another, aren't we? All of us have a tendency to put ourselves first, and we have those magical moments. There was a rare moment. Believe me, there were other moments where I did not put her first. And, uh, and so we are all working on this idea of self-entitlement. I want to give you a quote. Um, I'm not really big on guys with big names when it comes to quotes. I'm more worried about the content of the quote, and I thought the content of this quote is phenomenal. If you read it with me, it says, Man is not by nature deserving of all that he wants. Amen? When we think that we are automatically entitled to something, that is when we start walking all over others to get it. Well, there's a real truth in that, isn't there? We're going to see that played out in these guys called the scribes this morning. So if you have a Bible, would you turn to the book of Mark, chapter 12? We've been in our series, When a Good King Goes to War. And this is the last week of Jesus' life. He rolled into Jerusalem, and he is going to war against Satan, sin, and death on our behalf. And at the end of this week, he would be crucified for our sin, and then he would be resurrected, showing that he was victorious over our sin, death, and Satan. And we're going to see today that Jesus is going to war against something called self-entitlement. 
If you read along with me, Mark 12, 38 says, And in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows, houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. <clears throat> they will receive the greater condemnation. They will receive the greater condemnation. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I pray this morning as we consider our self-entitlement, as we consider our desires and our selfishness, God, I pray that we wouldn't be thinking about others, but instead, Lord, that you would help us, each one of us this morning, battle our flesh, battle our fleshly desires. God, we pray that by your gospel, you would set us free from the inclinations of our flesh. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so first we see the entitlement of the scribes, the entitlement of the scribes. Why were the scribes feeling as though they deserved all of these great things? The front seats at places, the, the big greetings, why did they feel like they deserved those things? Well, if you know about the life of a scribe, any scribes out there today? Oh no, okay, so scribes, were guys that, that their task was very, very, very meticulous. They felt as though they deserved such treatment because their role as scribes were extremely important. They were to write down and articulate and hold with great detail the, and preserve God's Word at every turn, every dot, every iota, every letter had to be specific and perfect. How many of you in school hated writing a five-page essay? A five-paragraph essay. These guys were so meticulous, and they had to be to preserve God's Word. And so this, they did this. They considered themselves of high worth. There's some guys in Scripture, if you look back, there's a book in your Bible called Ezra. Everybody say Ezra with me. For, and it says, Ezra 7, 10 through 11, we learn this guy named Ezra was a scribe. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest. So he was a priest. And then it says, the scribe, a man learned in matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. So these were very learned men. But I want to give you a sense then that scribes, as they were writing the words of God as God's law, they were teaching it. These were very smart, educated guys. They had to be very meticulous in their procedures and methods for making copies of God's law or the Torah. Or the Torah. For example, those who performed the copying were permitted to use only animal skins that were clean for writing. Additionally, the ink they used had to be prepared using a very special formula and had to be black in color. How many of you just go to Walmart and buy your pens? Frankly, those would not do. Okay, so what they wrote with, how they wrote, and it was very precise, and they felt very important because of it. The interesting thing, before each time a scribe wrote the name of God, they were, they were to completely wash both their writing instruments and themselves. Each word had to be read out loud before it was written down. How many of you in the middle of writing down a letter have to pause and go take a bath and then come back? 
Not a lot of us. And so they, again, they were very meticulous. They had very high view of themselves because their work was difficult. Anybody had difficult work in your life? Anybody at the end of that difficult work, do you kind of feel like you've earned a, a little bit of a head nod? You, one might even say as you get done with um, a hard or dirty task, you feel a little bit more deserving. Anybody develop that? Where you sit down, maybe you get home from a long day's hard work and you sit down and you have that thought, I deserve to what? Rest and relax, right? Rest and relax. Rest and relax. And so these guys were not dissimilar from that kind of perspective on themselves, but they had let their deservingness, their value, their hard work became an entitlement that Jesus said was worthy of a higher punishment. There's something to be learned from that, and there's a cautionary tale for us. Uh, a couple more details about scribes. Was their work hard? Every column written by one of the scribes had to have a minimum of 48 lines of text. How many of you count lines of text? They were not allowed to write columns that had 61 lines of text, more. Their work was generally reviewed within 30 days. If three or more pages required any corrections, the entire manuscript had to be rewritten. Right? I remember one time I was working with my construction, uh, my uh, contractor father-in-law, and he he had me had set up some forms for concrete, and he left. And and I this was one of the first times I was setting up forms, and I set up the forms, and I was super proud of them. And when he came back with lunch, I I just kind of stood there, and I was like, "Look at it all that I have accomplished!" And he walked up, and he took a level to it, and was like, "Uh, you're gonna have to take these down and redo it." And I was devastated. Right? Can you imagine the work that these guys as they painstakingly took each one of these words of God, and then sometimes they'd be thrown away. If there was a minute little detail off, if there was anything wrong with their writings. So in a sense, they walked away with this attitude of, we deserve something. We deserve something. And in doing so, when you walk in this entitlement, you walk away from the gospel blessings that Jesus has for you. And we're going to see that in the scribes. When you walk through life, Feeling as though you deserve something, you're always going to be walking away in bitterness and in frustration at other people. And you're going you're gonna to walk all over other people. Let's talk about the road of entitlement. Where does the road of entitlement lead us? Well, we know that the gospel and that God himself is our joy. Amen? He is so good. There's joy for the grace that we receive from him. And by the way, the gospel, the big idea about the gospel is that we didn't get what we deserve, amen? We didn't get what we deserve, but instead, and we didn't get what we earned. What did we earn through our sins? According to Scripture, it says death, right? We didn't earn the grace that God gives us is replaced by a pursuit. So the joy for the gospel is replaced by a pursuit to demand our rights. Anybody ever been stuck in that? where you feel like your toes have been stepped on and you're, you're breathing fire at somebody because they stepped on your right. They stepped on what you felt like you deserved. We end up then enforcing the reward that we believe we are worthy of. Anybody ever been there where you're enforcing your things that you're entitled to? And then what happens is bitterness is the result when we don't get what we felt we deserved and then despair becomes the norm 
for entitlement, doesn't it? Have you ever met a celebrity who has everything they want? Or have you read articles about celebrities? They have everything they want. And it seems like they're the most depressed and in despair people they could possibly. Why? Because they're the enforcers of the attention on them. It is their task to make sure that the spotlight is continually on them. And that's exhausting, isn't it? Brothers and sisters, that's what happens when we become entitled. When we make sure that it's our job to get what we feel we deserve, it becomes exhausting and it walks us away from the blessings of the gospel. And so today, we're going to look at five entitlement desires in conflict with the gospel blessings. I'm going to say that again. Five entitlement desires in conflict with gospel blessings. And it starts there in that first uh, phrase, they had what? Say that with me, long robes. Long robes. If we look back at that passage, beware the scribes who like to walk around in what? Long robes. Did you guys bring your long robes today? No. Let's talk about what this means then. They had long robes. And what did that mean? Well, I want, I want to give you the premise is this. What they were essentially saying is that I am the center of the universe. They wanted to receive the majesty. They wanted to receive the glory and the accolades of being the center of the room. They wanted the attention on them. In fact, they wanted to be God in that moment. Ever had that little quiet thought in your head? Why aren't they paying attention to me? Why aren't they listening to me? You ever had that thought? Well, essentially, the scribes were walking around with these robes. I think of weddings. You ever been to a wedding? And what typically is the bride wearing? The very long train of her robe, and she has people sometimes, I always think it's funny, I've done a lot of weddings, and there's always the like bridesmaid that's back there, and she's like trying to fix the robe, but it's like running around, and she's trying to get it, she's trying to keep it perfect, and she's trying to keep it long. What is the statement there? Who's the center of the room? The bride. Rightfully so. But I think many of us like every day for us to think about ourselves as the bride at a wedding. When you walk into your place at work, you're like, the show can start now. When you sit down at a meeting, when you sit down at dinner with your family, or you're like, okay, now we can begin. The party may begin. Now, so there's this sense, right, that they are desiring to be the center of focus, the center of attention. I want you to think about, there's this picture in Isaiah 6.1. If you go to Isaiah 6.1, you get this picture of the throne room of God, and you find out who is the centerpiece of all creation. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Filled the temple. Who is the centerpiece of the temple? God. How many of you like to think about yourself as the main character in your story? Anybody there? You think about yourself as the main character in the story, but we need to remember that in the context of all existence, the story that God himself is authoring is penning. We are not the main character. That hurts. What about my conflicts? What about my woes? What about my adventures? They're important, and God is intimately aware of those, but he is writing a story that is so much far and above and beyond and bigger than we can think or imagine. Amen? And so when we walk around, uh, I always think about if you ever watch a movie, can you imagine if the extras pushed the celebrity actors out of the way and tried to make themselves a bigger part of the movie? That's what we're constantly trying to do with God, isn't it? 
We're the backdrops to his glory, but yet we want the majesty. Here the scribes are struggling with the same thing. And so when they walk around with long robes, they're saying, look at me, I'm the center of the universe. They want to be the main character of the story. Well, we're not so different from us, right? Well, I think about Adam and Eve in the garden, Genesis 3, when they ate of the tree of the what? What was the tree? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's the one they, and essentially, what does that story tell us? Essentially, that story is trying to tell us that Adam and Eve took for themselves the, the right. They wanted to begin to now define what was right and what was wrong for themselves. Now, you're, I know many of you, as you think about Genesis 3, you're like, I wouldn't have ever eaten of that tree. I don't want that desire. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought something was okay for you that wasn't okay for somebody else? This is just okay for me right now because of my situation. Are you defining for yourself what is right and what is wrong? You don't understand my situation. I'm able to do this. That sounds to me like defining what is right for you instead of letting God establish the right and wrong. And so we are walking in that same. How many of you have noticed that you have this amazing ability for self-justification? You can justify why you should be the first in line. You can justify why you should be the one to have the biggest portion in your head. You can justify why you can cut that person off in traffic. It's because you're in a bigger hurry than I am or that they are. I know this happens. I've been on that highway to Casper. And there's some people that think their agenda is at a much higher priority than everybody else. Can I get an amen? But for them, they're defining for themselves right or wrong. How many of us do we give ourselves permission to lax on things like self-control? You ever have a rough week and you're like, I need comfort food. Can I get an amen to Lucky Charms? Or that bowl of sugary cereal for you, right? And so we, we then, we get to have as many bowls as we want because we had a rough week. You see where that entitlement thinking starts to come in because we think of ourselves as the center of our universe. Many of us, how do we handle hard weeks? How do we begin to show uh, that we are defining for ourselves right and wrong. Well, how many of you use social media as an escape? How many of you get uncomfortable in social situations? So what happens? And you start scrolling. How many of you have a hard week and you think it's your right then to sit down and and watch your favorite TV show as much as you want? Parents, we can't do that, can we? As much as we want to sit down with a big bowl of ice cream and watch our favorite shows, we have to be the primary disciplers of our kids. And so at that moment, we have to choose to be present. That's hard to do. Husbands, how many times do we come home from a hard, or wives, we come home from a hard day's work, and the first thing you want to do is what? Throw your feet up on the couch. Do what you want to do. Have, quote, unquote, me time. Because you're the center of your story, right? No. Brothers and sisters, this is what the scribes struggle with. This is what we struggle with today. And so we need to remember that Jesus is the center of the universe, that God himself, Isaiah 45, 5 says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you though you do not know me. God says that you are not God of your life. He is. And by the way, did you know that's the best thing for us? See, the gospel talks about this idea that that when we try to be gods for ourselves, we fail every time because we're not capable. We don't have the divinity. We don't have the power, the omniscience, the control. Anybody tried to have control? We can't be gods of our life. You ever tried? You fail every time, don't you? 
because we can't be, but the gospel frees us from that endless pursuit because we can rely and breathe deep and take on the yoke that is easy from Jesus because he is our God. And he can bear the burden and the load of our life that we couldn't because we're not God. See, he offers us what's called perfect and righteous robes through faith, given to us when we let go of being God and submit to Jesus as God. So here we try to fashion ourselves long robes as the scribes, but all the while Jesus gives us white robes of righteousness if we let go of being God in our life. When you cling to Christ then, it frees us to enjoy all of God's good gifts without making justifications or having guilt while letting Him be our governing authority on how much is too much or over the line. When we let God be the definer or the centerpiece of our life, it works out so much better for us, doesn't it? He understands us so much better than ourselves. So we see long robes. What's the next thing that they wanted? They wanted what? They wanted greetings in marketplaces. They wanted greetings in marketplaces. Anybody want greetings in marketplaces? You guys remember this old show? Some of you were like, I've never seen this in my life. But some of you know the show that I'm talking about, right? And it's about this bar where everybody who walks in is what? They know you're, the whole, the whole theme song is about being known. It, cats, it scratches at this desire that we all have to be approved and welcomed and accepted by people. It was a big show, wasn't it? People love that show. People still talk about, I never watched it. It was way, way before my time. I lo- <laughs> Ouch. I love you. Okay. I love you. But greetings, they had an, they had a desire for approval. They had a desire for approval, just like that song saying, you want to go where everyone knows your name. By the way, it's interesting to me that this is how a lot of people pick churches today, because they want acceptance. They want to go where people know their name. By the way, you know, the top two things that that people consider before they join a church are really good music and a friendliness. Did you know you can have both of those without Jesus and walk your way further away from God, further away from God? Yeah, those are great things if you're following your heart, if you're following desires of your heart. But the Bible talks about the heart is what? Deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who could know its way? But when we seek greetings, when we seek greetings in the marketplace like these scribes, we're guilty of the slippery slope called people-pleasing. Any people-pleasers out there? Is people-pleasing a plausible task? Anybody ever tried? It's impossible to please everybody in your life, isn't it? It's impossible to please everybody in life. You cannot please everyone because people are fickle and changing all the time. You ever did what somebody said and you come back, you're like, I did it. And they're like, great, I changed my mind. I didn't like what you did. And you're like, but wait, I wanted to praise. I wanted approval. I wanted you to say, boy." But when my father-in-law came back and looked at that construction project, he was like, mm-mm. You need to get better, right? You need to improve. And so it's a never-ending slippery slope of people pleasing. People don't have your best interest in mind typically, do they? They have their best interest in mind. I think about my own testimony. I've shared this with many of you. When I was in high school, I pursued the approval of as many people as I could around me. And so I always took on the face and the appearance of the people around me in high school. And so at one point, I was a goth. I told you the story about my goth friend skiing, right? At one point, I was a cowboy. I did have a cowboy hat and boots. 
And then after that week was over, I was a rapper. Reconcile those three. But it was that I just wanted to be liked and approved and receive welcome from anybody who was around me. And so I tried to look and appear like anybody around me, right? So there was this greetings, this desire for approval. Thank God that he freed me from that. And when I discovered who he made me to be, I could let go of trying to be approved and please everyone. And now just the Lord is the one who I can seek out his approval. There's a real freedom in that, isn't there? Cheers of men historically is not a good thing. Amen? When we just do what the majority wants, historically not a good thing. Jesus was crucified at the cheers of his own people, wasn't he? That wasn't approval. Those were cheers for his demise. I always think, name this movie, a famous quote says, so this is how liberty dies with thunderous applause. Anybody know that movie? Oh, there's my guy. A majority ruling is a dangerous thing. If we let the majority rule over us, it will never be enough. Boy, we see that in modern government. Can I get an amen? We're just never going to approve, be approved by everybody. They wanted greetings. They wanted welcome in the marketplaces. Galatians 1.10 says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? This is Paul. Or am I trying to please man? And here he says it so well. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Those two things are in conflict with each other. I cannot afford to be a servant of man. I have to be a servant of Christ above all. And so what does the gospel do? So the gospel takes this desire to be greeted and it changes it to where we seek out God's applause, which, by the way, what's God's plans and purpose for us? For good and not for evil, amen? We can trust and know redemption is the end of where God is leading us and restoration of all creation is where Jesus is leading us. And so God's approval is far and above more important than man's. Amen? Let us seek it. Let us seek it. Next, we see that they were seeking seats and places. Seats and places. They desired to be an honored authority. An honored authority. Now, I know many of you were like... I don't really try to seek out the, the top spots. Well, it says that they wanted to sit in the front of the synagogue. Synagogue was interesting because anybody could participate and stand up and give an argument in synagogue. And so when you sat in the front, you were saying that your opinion was more valuable and more important for others to hear. You may not do that here at church, but I know some of you do that online where you sit at the front places expressing opinions. All of us try to do that, right? The desire, the culture leads us into, I want to know your opinion. It's a desire to be an authority, to have an opinion on everything. Are you coaxed into having an opinion on everything? Yeah, it seems like every commercial wants you to formulate an opinion, doesn't it? How many of you are really good? It's like your spiritual gifting is having an opinion about something, everything, all the time. If that's not you... <laughs> then maybe your uh, friends and uh, siblings can uh, point you out. It's all of us. It's all of us. We sat down and solved the world's problems. Like, we love that idea. You ever heard that? We sat down and solved the world's problems. In Sunday school, by the way, we sat down and solved predestination and free will, just so you guys know. No, I'm kidding. We didn't solve that. We didn't solve that, but we had some opinions. This is social media. This is polls. By the way, you ever notice the power that polls have in our nation? today 
You're going to hear this this next year. We took a poll. Who cares? I don't care what the majority of people think. I care about what God thinks. Let's not take another poll. Let's look at the scriptures and see what God says. I'm not interested. What does God say? He is the place of authority in the church. The church cannot be run this way. But instead, we're invited to be professionals on everything. If everyone would just see it my way, it would be a better world. Have you ever said that to yourself? Who wants the seat of authority there? Just like the scribes. And these types of folks, like the scribes, they love to give good advice. Have you ever received uninvited advice? Have you ever give, given un, unsought-out advice when it's not asked for? So many times in the church today, guys, we have to be careful about people who have this mentality that they're an authority. And it's really easy in our celebrity pastor, celebrity worship leader culture today. We have to be very careful in a YouTube culture where anybody can go and watch any teaching from anybody who's a professed authority in any region of Scripture. You have to be so, so very careful because there's so many people that would say, I am a proclaimed authority over this passage or over this theology. You have to be so careful, especially when somebody says that they have a special revelation that nobody else has had before and nobody else has confirmed. Everybody wants to think that God speaks directly to me and not to you, but that's not what the New Covenant said. The New Covenant said that we wouldn't be teachers over one another, but all of us would have direct access to God himself. That's the promise of the New Covenant. That's what Jesus accomplished to us, accomplished for us. So we have Bible scholars today that say, I'm the only one that really understands Hebrew or the original languages. Be really careful, brothers and sisters. Be really careful. Just because somebody says they're good at Hebrew and Aramaic doesn't mean you should listen to them. Because it comes, it stems out of this idea of an inflated importance. Celebrity doesn't make good decision making. By the way, did you know the bulk of the Christian book industry is derived by who would buy the most books? That should concern you and me. Because Christian literature then becomes who can sell the most books. Those are the ones that get published and put out to us, and change culture. I love doing book studies, and I, I do a lot of book studies with pastors from around town, with guys. We do our lunch bunch. On Tuesdays, we sit and talk about a book, but I always want to caution you, if it's a self-proclaimed Christian book, take it with a grain of salt and make it submit to the Word of God, because <clears throat> there are a lot of published authors out there that would lead you astray because they're an authority. They wanted spots of honor. They were self-promoting. I always think it's funny, uh, the few times that I've been to like Disney World or that, how intense people seek the first part in line. In fact, they had to, Disney World had to create these things called fast lanes, where people pay more so they can get ushered to the front of the line. Boy, doesn't that just speak to the desires of humanity? If we could just be ushered to the front of the line in front of everybody, we would feel more honored. But that's what these scribes were desiring. I know many of you have struggled with this when you come to a four-way stop. Can I get an amen? Where you sit there and you're looking at that person, you're like, I'm next, I'm next, I'm next, I'm next, I'm next. They went before me, and that was not right. Because I should be the honored person at this four-way stop. I'll never forget a story um, of my mom in SeaWorld. Uh, I, I remember as a kid, my mom took us to SeaWorld. And it started raining at SeaWorld, just 
profusely raining and they had poncho, rain ponchos, but you had to stand in line to get rain ponchos, right? And I'll never forget this, this older man, biker dude, steps up in front of us in line and kind of cut our line. And my like 5'2 mom was gonna like take this dude down. Mama bears, where you at? This guy is not gonna get in front of me because I am more important than this guy. Well, this you know, clearly you see two different sides to that fence, right? <clears throat> the biker guy regret regretted his life decisions at that moment. I think it's as we think about this, and it's funny, but when we go downstairs, brothers and sisters, uh, when we go to have food, right, downstairs, this is the idea that we go down together to have food with one another, and we will. Don't worry, I'll stop eventually. But we go to celebrate and honor one another is more important than ourselves. And so don't try to get the biggest potato. Don't try to sneak your way in front of Marilyn. But consider others as more important than yourself. And as we leave, we can clean up for one another. See, the gospel frees us from this kind of seats and places. We become learners of God's word, free to promote others to places of honor because God has already promoted us way far and above and beyond our deserving position. Amen? Our deserving position was sin and death and separation from God. We've already been promoted way beyond what we deserve, and we should be over the moon excited about that because of what Jesus has done for us. So nextly, and next we see widows. And so the problem with this mentality is the desires take over is that we begin to desire what belongs to others. And it, we develop this thing, it's called utilitarianism, where you view human beings as just a means to an end, a means to an end, that they are just worth what you can get out of them. And this is becoming a more and more prominent worldview today that human beings aren't even persons unless they can submit or contribute something to society. Is that what Scripture says? No, we are made in the image of God. And so if you're a human being at any place, no matter your faculties, you are worthy of dignity, value, and respect. But as we see these Scribes begin to use widows, those of lowly station, those who are in grieving for their own means. Others become a means to get what we want and become a means to an end. And that's where you start to see that we begin to take advantage of others who are in misfortune. and We use their misfortune for our gain. <clears throat> I had a man point out to me one time, he said, you know, uh, as an owner of renting facilities, he struggled with this. He's, he's struggled with this because when you're a renter, oftentimes you're not in a good position. And so there is this sense, and throughout history, how about loan sharks? You guys heard the term loan shark? Right? There, there are professions that you can take advantage of others in misfortune. Now, Christians, if we're in those fields, that's the limit for us because God's in charge of us. And so if you're a, if you're a loan shark or you rent to others, you do it in grace and God's love not to take advantage of others' misfortune. I think of today, there's kind of a, everybody can be a day trader in their pocket. Did you guys know that? Well, the idea of day trading is what? Where does that money come from? If you're day trading stock, where do you get it from? Essentially, other people, you ever heard of the GameStop drama? 
wealthy people invested in GameStop, and then there was a, a way of working in the markets where others could take advantage of one another. We got to be careful, brothers, that we don't walk into something like day trading in the stock to take advantage of others. There are so many opportunities to do this today, aren't there? I think of young con man Shane. Young con man Shane. I was a, a bit of a con man when I was in grade school. And I'll never forget, there were these things called Pokemon cards. I'm going to out myself, okay? And I remember I saw an opportunity here. The kids loved Pokemon cards. And so I put some glitter on one of the cards and I put some glue on there. And I sold it to a kid for 60 bucks. I'm confessing to you here, okay? Anybody? Shane? You're a sinner in need of God's grace. Young con man Shane, I'm confessing something to you. I'm not proud of it, okay? But we look for those types of advantages that we should avoid and that we should not take advantage of. See, when the gospel comes into our hearts, it changes how we our perspective. We become people who give to others because God has already given us far beyond what we deserve. Far beyond what we deserve. And the last thing we see is that they wanted to be seen praying. They wanted to be seen praying. It was for show. It was for show. They had a desire to be seen. What does that mean? Well, I would say that today there are a lot of people who go to church or in the past have gone to church to be seen at church, not to connect with God. That's the difference between what I call lip service and hymn service. Lip service versus hymn service. Jesus even addresses this, Martha, uh, Matthew 6, 1 through 4 says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. Don't make t-shirts as the hypocrites do in the that, that was Shane's intro. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that you give, your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. There's a principle there that we don't do things for show. We don't do things to be seen or to be glorified. You can do Christian things without being, uh, without being transformed by the gospel. So you can do good things without having doing, uh, you can do good things sometimes that are not God things. Does that make sense? You can do good things. Here's some good things. Pew sitting. Not like pew sitting, but like, we don't have pews anymore. But so sitting on Sunday, you, could, you hear some people say, here's that justification. I've gone to church my whole life. I've gone to church my whole life. Do you know non, non-Christians can be devoted to uh, non-religious organizations just as much as you are devoted sometimes to, to the church as just an organization? Praying, charity giving, public, uh, publicity stunts for more gain. I think of our, our, a lot of big corporations, they publicize what they do for others, don't they? Why? Because it benefits them. It benefits their bottom line. But for a Christian, this is not sustainable. You will walk away from Jesus as soon as it costs you if this is your mentality. And being a believer will cost you, won't it? And so you'll do it for show for as long as it benefits you. And here's where Christians will come to church as long as it benefits them. But as soon as it becomes uncomfortable, what happens? I'm out. The benefit is gone. 
But we have a challenge from Jesus. Luke 14, 27 through 28 says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? So heavenly desire is in sight of a redeemed follower of Jesus. What is a heavenly desire? What is a heavenly desire? The Bible talks about setting our treasures in heaven, doesn't it? That's a heavenly desire. So there is such thing as a heavenly desire. The momentary desires of this life pale in comparison to the heavenly treasures of Christ. Amen? So don't settle for anything less than the heavens than heaven's treasures. Don't settle for anything else in this life than heaven's treasures. So the gospel here, see, see others because God saw you in the lowliest state you could be, dead in your trespasses and sins. You and I were dead in our trespasses and sins, and God saw us, didn't he? He saw us. He sees you. You've already been seen. You don't need to showboat. Or what's the other word? Peacock. You don't got to do it. God's already seen you. And he finishes with this. Entitlement leads to harsher punishment. What is that harsher punishment? Well, the Bible doesn't pull any punches when it talks about separation from God is and hell a place that was designed for Satan and his demons. If you have not professed faith in Jesus, then you are not a part of, of a faith family. You're not a part of this faith family. You could come for years, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you haven't professed faith in Jesus, then you are not saved. You're not made, made new. You're not given new life in Christ yet. And so I want to encourage you, if you're here today, and maybe you've attended church for years, let be, today be the day that you say, I'm not about my own desires. I want Jesus. I want Jesus. You can't be, you can't attend, you participate, eat with us, but with faith in Jesus alone is the only means to salvation. You could come for years. You can eat with us. All of those things. So for us, just like that day that I grabbed out that coffee cake, and was reminded heartily that we are all self-entitled. Brothers and sisters, the remedy for being self-entitled is to press into the gospel at every level. Press into the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and it undoes our desires and frees us to live with joy again. Exchange self-entitlement for humble delight by rejoicing in the gospel. Exchange self-entitlement for humble delight by rejoicing in the gospel. If you got small groups, or if you attend small groups, or if you're interested in small groups, come and talk to me. Where have I walked in the desires of my flesh and acted entitled? And how can I exchange those desires with gospel freedoms? I'm going to have Miriam come up, um, or Dami come up, and uh, she's going to play. But I want you to just bow your heads. We're going to pray for the meal, and we're going to go have an awesome meal. But I just want to give you a moment, just a moment, to search your heart. Where is this entitlement in your heart? Would you deal with God for just a moment? If you need prayer, would you come up and talk to me? If you've sat in church for years, but you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you just consider yourself a Christian, but you don't know why, would you come talk to me? I want to tell you that there's more than just coming to church. There's more than just calling yourself a Christian. There's an intimate and beautiful relationship to be had with the God of the universe through Jesus. Would you bow your heads and pray now?
Father God, we come before you and we confess that we are self-entitled and selfish. And just like these scribes, God, we could fall down that slippery slope. But God, we pray for and ask for freedom in the gospel. Would you put in our hearts faith that would free us from our own self, selfish and sinful inclinations. Lord, we pray this all, and we pray that you'd go before us as we enjoy a meal together. Would you be glorified in how we eat with one another and serve one another in Jesus' name? And all God's people said, amen. Brothers and sisters, I want to invite you. Would you join us as we go downstairs? We're going to have a meal together. Enjoy one another's company and to the glory, to the lo- glory of the Lord. You guys have a wonderful day in Jesus' name.